0: Hello and welcome to episode 149 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, and I am joined once again by James Rundle.
1: Yeah, you can't say as always. So yeah, no praise Jesus, it. he's back. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so today um, we're just going to talk about. You know, it's the end of the year. There's not much yeah, news going uh, out. It's
1: the last hours of the last day of work. It's, yeah, exactly. You know, winding down.
0: Yeah, we're gonna, we'll are gonna. we be off next week. Uh, we'll be back in a new year with episode 150. Yep. Um, we'll be in the office, James and I, uh, working, but we're not going to do a podcast next week because truly nothing's going on. No. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about uh, the biggest stories from 2018 and what that might mean for 2019, kind of prognosticating a little bit. And, um oh, crap, we should have brought in the other beers. Um, <laughs> yeah, We're to have a break halfway through. The long yeah, exactly. We'll <laughs> um, so, I don't know. How do you to...
1: Well, I think, we'll preface this by saying that, um, so we put up a post today about our best long-form content. Um, we've actually unlocked it as well, so it's free to read. These are free to read, to read, read long-form period. stories. Get in. Until our publisher comes back from uh, from vacation and tells us to put it back behind the paywall. Yep. Um, <laughs> Hi, Casey. <laughs> um, so we made this free for you guys. Anyway, so yeah, I think, um, I mean, look, if you look at kind of the theme of the selections, it's around data and AI, right? That's pretty much like the main thing that comes across in it. Um, data ranging from alternative data through to data issues method two, AI obviously your deep learning piece and everything that needs to be associated with Old data to make it work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of really Remember to keep your the, mouth in front of the microphone, uh, well, No, no, I was about to burp, sorry. I, just... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that really kind of demonstrates what this year has been about in FinTech and that's what the conversations pretty much been, right? Like last year it was crypto, blockchain, this year it's really been AI and data, I think, are the two main themes that have come yeah. out of it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think with AI, it's, it's more a case of just kind of trial and error to see what is going to work. Unlike blockchain, you know, which maybe there's some use cases. We put up a new story actually today about Northern Trust. They are pushing forward with their private equity blockchain. The Australian Securities Exchange is still planning to go ahead uh, with its um, blockchain to replace its chess system. Way of the future now, right? The 2021 now is when they're looking at that. Um, And that's already been delayed once and now – they're building that along with Blythe Masters, or I'm sorry, with Digital Asset, which was headed by Blythe Masters famously. No longer. Mm. And she stepped down. Um, I remember when that news came out and like, oh, you know, we should cover it. It's like, who gives a move. Everyone's it's, got it. They've had that obituary written for a yeah, long time. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that this past year, I guess let's actually stick with the blockchain here. This past year, 2018, it felt to me anyway, that there is there was a lot of come down on blockchain, that this isn't, you know, people are like, the, the, these projects, there's there's going to be some use cases for it, certainly. But that this revolutionary technology that everybody was predicting that will I mean, fundamentally honest, change the capital markets, so that's not what's happened not happy, here.
1: I've barely heard about it, to be honest. If you consider, like, how... Um, on top of the, of every kind of conversation and conference and has been for the last two or three years. Mm. Like this year, it's almost been radio silence on the blockchain front. Now rather than yeah. saying, this is the year of implementation. This is where we get out of brass tacks. And it's like, yeah.
0: Maybe not so much. Not so much, guys. And, um,
1: uh, how's all that money you've invested in? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, so I think then to swing it back to AI, there are true use cases for AI and they're being rolled out. They're being used. Machine learning, Techniques are being used. Um, deep learning to a, a far lesser extent, but as we explore in that piece, um, it, it is a technology that that there are some use cases for it. Um, if you want to consider RPA as kind of part of the AI family, you know. Sure, I don't really. You I mean, I, I, like, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's more just, yeah.
0: Yeah. But I think natural language processing for sure. Um, new techniques are coming out all the time through use cases with NLP, um, and I think that t- you know we're just going to see more of that in in 2019.
1: It's amazing how there is like a, I think a growing groundswell of anti AI opinion. I guess this happens in every hype cycle, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, yesterday I was in Boston with um, Richard and Robert Michaud from New Frontier Advisors, um, who are fairly famous within asset management circles for. Um, questioning what is really kind of the golden philosophy of portfolio construction, Markowitz principles. Um, and they were, we were talking about AI, and they seemed actually almost kind of hostile towards it. They were just saying, you know, well, it's just, you know, linear regression, it's not really artificial intelligence, that in itself is an oxymoron, and, you know, you do get that kind of so, Yeah, of, you know, sometimes you know. people
0: take it way too literally. It's like, yeah, listen, yeah. it's part of the AI family. You know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Can we just have this definition? Why do we have to be... <laughs> you get that so much, though, in technology, right? People getting snarky about is blockchain really anything more than, you know, something like, It's like, no, it is something more. It is something different. Yeah. You know, and let's, we can we can quote it as that. I don't think but.
1: people accept that, right? There yeah. is something new that's happened. I think, yeah, maybe next year. I don't think it's a year of rationalization necessarily. I think it's still quite new. It's... um I think a lot of people will be getting on with it as well. Yeah. Um, again, it'll probably be less of a current topic of conversation because I think it's been fairly well covered this year in terms of what it is and now everyone gets it and sort of mm-hmm. moving ahead. But, um, I mean, you've done a pretty good job over the last few months of... Really profiling what projects are in train, I think, um, and I guess that is just going to continue to get yeah. In sophistication.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would say the other thing, and actually, it doesn't relate to any of our top ten articles, um, but it broadly underpins a lot of the articles is obviously cloud adopt clouds cloud usage has the, the cloud isn't anything new. Yeah, the public cloud now. I think that we've kind of come from the point of would we ever use public cloud to we're, we're long past that you know you are using public cloud aws google microsoft ibm yeah. um in some form or another maybe you're coupling them together
1: for specific use cases a lot of people still using private clouds yes like, so, absolutely you know.
0: yeah so it's not as it's not everything it's not the be all end all but certainly that more and more adoptions happening yeah. um throughout the year uh throughout this past year And I think that's going to kick up in earnest. You know, Google's putting, what, a billion dollar addition to its uh, campus here in New York City, and they're doing that specifically to appeal to Wall Street, to have a sales, a bigger, better sales team here that can, you know, help out, uh, that that can try and chip away at AWS and Microsoft's lead in that space. And I think that's going to be a big story. And then the problem is, and we're going to explore this in a feature that will be in the February issue of Waters, but... There are a lot of challenges that firms. It's Everybody's like, oh, cloud is the destination. Well, no, not quite. And we're going to have, um, at the beginning part of 2019, assuming that the schedule uh, stays the same, our uh, longtime friend uh, Bill Murphy, uh, CTO at Blackstone, is going to come on and talk about some of those challenges around cloud. So I think that's going to be yeah. a big theme, um, cloud usage and challenges around it.
1: Well, I think it comes back to what we said in our Waters 25 issue in September, where we had a look at what future technology is coming and the common thread throughout what almost everybody said was that cloud really underpins all of it Yeah, it provides a foundational layer for all this to go ahead yeah.
0: um, it'll be cloud not blockchain that underpins it not all. blockchain okay. yes, yes exactly and
1: <laughs> uh, even the blockchain might be running on the cloud so there right. we go uh, You know, there's a foundational technology which allows all this to happen really as cloud uh, from yeah. a compute perspective yeah. from a storage perspective from everything else I mean there are problems with it um, which I guess you're going to explore in your future, such as running analytics at speed on the cloud, and, and vice and various other things. Hitting as well.
0: costs that kind of crop yeah. up, you know, and, and then just kind of data governance um, as being a, a for, it's a data governance is a term that's thrown around a lot. The actual application of data governance and making sure you have that, you know, we, we hate talking about oh cultural change stuff. No, this is something that you do have to have people on different kind of mindsets and you gotta properly train people for, you know, how to use the cloud, what is available through the cloud, you know, and how do we, how do we, do we make safely? sure the data doesn't become this unwieldy, sprawling mess.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, I was speaking to uh, a chap at Waters USA from one of the major banks, and he was saying his biggest challenge isn't necessarily around data governance isn't necessarily you know, making sure that everyone's using the right indices properly and they're not breaching the licensing agreements—it's yeah. actually, you know, these whiz kids and this IT spin-off skunkworks thing have now spooled up sixty different Amazon Web servers for testing, and we're not quite sure exactly who's in charge of them, where the governance is going, and that kind of yeah. thing. So, you know, it offers a lot of challenges in that department for sure. I
0: think, yeah. So, it's yeah. um, so here, cloud, AI, blockchain. Yeah. Um, exactly, well, it's I guess on the regulatory front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, MIFID 2, there's obviously, as you explored in your uh, piece, there's still data issues. There's still issues that have to be hammered out, yeah, though it's in full force. Now. quite
1: significant issues. Uh, yeah. And this is actually, you know, it's not just limited to data. It happens in a lot of other departments as well. Like, sure. For instance, you know, can you use the software in customs and immigration, or can you use anything else? But anyway, for the financial market expression of this, it is can you share data between the FCA and ESMA and the... Various other national competent authorities within the rest of Europe once the yeah. UK leaves. Uh, that's causing a huge headache now, and they're going to have to conduct some sort of memorandum of understanding, which isn't a legally binding document. There's no treaty or anything. Um, and especially in light of GDPR and everything else. Uh, I think
0: 2019 going to start talking about MIFID 3. Is that well, the, what's the, going to be kind of. We've our... actually run
1: several stories and they're already doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, MIFID 2.5, definitely. Like, every piece of European regulation has a uh, baked-in review clause. So Mm -hmm. after three to five years, it has to be reviewed to see how it's been implemented and things change. They've done it with um, EMEA, the derivatives market regulation, recently. And that's kind of birthed EMEA kind of 1.5, I guess, or sort of, you know. uh, And so I guess it's more likely to be MIFID 2.5, but... You're lot of Europeans
0: and your love of regulation. I know, yeah. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, but what a lot of European politicians are saying, and I've heard this from my own private discussions with them, is that there's going to have to be a fit three because this was made with the idea that Europe be a cohesive whole moving forward. The financial markets would be on of a certain kind of structure and character, with London obviously being the financial centre. Mm-hmm. Ain't going to happen. If and the then UK's isolationism would...
0: started to seep in, and uh... well, I and mean, populism and
1: all this good stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've got a We're also going to run probably our top ten Brexit-related articles, and I've. It my lead to that, I've likened it to the old sort of you know villain tying a woman to a railroad track as the train's approaching. That's kind of what yeah. it feels like yeah. for the rest of it.
0: Um, GDPR, I think, is going to be, because 2019 is when you're going to start to see, I think regulators have kind of said, all right, we'll give you a little bit of time on this mm. um, because there's still a lot of confusion that exists. And I don't think that people are taking MIFID 2's deadline very, very seriously. GDPR I've kind of felt like in this past year, it snuck up on people. And well, I think they were focused on 2. That was a problem. Everyone was like, "We have
1: got to get MIFID two done." Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you yeah. realize, "Oh shit!" You know, the awesome. penalties
0: in the GDPR are way worse than MIFID two. Yeah. We should focus <laughs> on that. Um, and I don't think people realize just how intertwined and connected that they were. They were like, eh, ah, yeah. it's not really going to affect. Oh wow, that really does affect. Ev- wow, we got to really think about you know, just even simple stuff around emails and stuff like it's that. It's amazing
1: yeah. how many people affect. I've got a buddy who works in intelligence, and he had to do it for his department, like GDPR compliance, and. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they had no idea like, exactly how much, even in intelligence, how much could be shared and how much couldn't and that kind of thing as well. It's, and if uh, this
0: is a regulation that is going to have teeth, then the regulators will have to start hammering down, getting some scalps in 2019, I would think.
1: Yeah, someone's going to
0: Yeah, you gotta bite the bullet. Yeah, you got to throw an elbow here and there, you know, let people know that you mean business.
1: Yeah, they, they really do. Um, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in European regulation, I think, over the next few years with the effects of Brexit and... How they have to realign what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, and I, I guess even the future form of regulation, considering the UK has been the primary author of a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah. You know, we talked about that length, we won't get into it now. But um <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interest. Everyone thinks the regulatory um, period is over now because we've had Bifford 2 we've had Dodd Frank, we have having SFTR soon, um, we've had EMIR and everything else, and and uh, and the other sort of pillars of, of post crisis regulation, but. We're now into a new period where so much is changing on the political front that it's going to require a regulatory rewrite almost. And there's also different things you have to do in the UK. So if you have a trade repository, for instance, you're licensed with ESMA, you're mm-hmm. now going to have to license with the FCA as well. Um, how do you report to those two entities? How do you do all this, all that? All the stuff that people think was solved two years ago is actually going to come back up again now and yeah. have to rethink it. So, yeah, I think a lot more focus is going to be
0: on that. makes me so happy. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm here in the U.S. You guys, yeah, Josephine, Hamad, Amelia—they can handle that over. And, I've never uh, been happier to have moved away from London. That—that <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Europe story. Not a. We're we're here in New York. Uh, sorry, we're five hours behind. We can't really possibly keep up with that.
1: Is it uh, is it too late to bust myself back down to news editor or is it just? <laughs>
0: um, I think some of the other again straying a little bit from. Well, kind of dipping in and out of the top 10 list that we put up of our features, which, again, is free to read. Go get them while you can. Alternative data um, is something that everybody's been talking about and the use cases around it. I think that if not 2019, certainly by 2020, IoT is becoming such... There's so much data being created through uh, devices that are connected to the Internet of Things, if you will. Um, Already that title is getting bastardized. You know, we can't have titles anymore because people just hate, love to bastardize and whatever. Anyway. And then 2019, I'm working on a feature about this. Um, Right now that will be published probably at the beginning of January. Um, Looking at 5G. Um, Once that becomes, there's ideas that it's going to be broadly available in the US and China um, is it in, it was- in wide scale is what they're predicting, but also some of that's a bit rushed, that yes, there might be networks, but the tech, not, it's going to take about five years from yeah. what I, as I've been talking with people, it's going to take about five years for that to really kind of come together, the same way it did with 4G. I was going to say, have you spoken to phone companies about
1: this? Because remember when 4G came out, they had this special strata. People had to pay extra for 4G for like the longest yeah. time before it became started. I assume they're doing yeah.
0: similar thing. Yeah, like, it's going to be 4G. all but I'm not sure that people fully know yet how that's all going to be rolled out. But yeah. we are going to... There's more and more data being created. Yeah, Every year, a... Ramps up and up those IBM projections, you know, I mean, just it's a straight line up into the air. You the know? word
1: exponential is thrown around a lot, but actually suits this, doesn't yeah. it? In terms of growth, in, in, yeah, the and
0: yeah, and so how prices. do you capitalize on that? And mm-hmm. you know, what kind of vendors are going to come in with you know, new, you know, newfangled ways of corralling this data and presenting it to hedge funds and asset managers in a useful, tradable way? Yeah. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot more use cases, a lot more startups where 2000 certainly heading in 2018, you know, you, attract, you, you, you attach blockchain to your to your uh, company to raise series ABC funding, you know, alternative data and kind of creating those new mousetraps for that. I think that that's where we're going to see a lot of investment coming uh, from VC circles uh, and and. Um, in 2019 that would be my guess anyway yeah, I would have thought so. um i don't yeah. know what else do we got anything else that uh you think is uh gonna be quantum computing i think uh Wei Shen's gonna be covering a couple pieces on that yeah that was still much trodden a lot ahead i mean we i think we've
1: we're fairly of the opinion that's at least a decade away right before serious work starts happening we'll yeah i mean mass
0: produced is. but there's still a lot of experimentation and i think people were hunkered down here in 2018 yeah I think that there could be some progress made in 2019 yeah, I mean, on the banking front. There's quantum computing certainly in other areas. Yeah, more aggressive. But in the banking front, cool. I think that there could be some use cases. Again, these will be interesting stories, but yes, these aren't going to be mass produced wholesale uh, platforms that you're going You're not going to have a quantum computer in your uh, asset manager anytime soon. Yeah, you
1: know? yeah and, and also, I mean, I think next year, to be honest with you, from having spoken to a couple of guys over the last few weeks, all of them pretty much say the same thing. and you know They've released a lot of products over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of M&A activity. There's been a lot of technological developments and, and money gone into research and development. I think a lot of people are treating next year as the building year in terms of actually just getting down to brass tacks for stuff and figuring out what they have and where they're going. So I think next year will probably be quieter, mm-hmm. just generally. I mean, this year has been crazy in terms of news and sort of, you know, multi-billion dollar deals every other week and and sure and, uh, and of of stuff like stuff august
0: through. or is that the oms space oh just yeah, july august that. When, yeah that, that was, was the crazy. busiest period
1: i think you and i've ever had in this yeah. magazine <laughs> reporting stuff um just the sheer amount of money that was thrown around was spectacular um mm-hmm. so yeah i think next year you'll see a lot of that bedding down you'll see a lot of change in uh, the companies that have been acquired um products out in the markets um Fintech continues to cool I think will be my main prediction for it the startup atmosphere just isn't as electric as it used to be I don't think and um, a lot of the the serious startups that were tackling a problem are now getting mature and there's not I think there's a huge amount left for new people to come in and think well we're already gonna change the paradigm with this you know we're gonna we're gonna electronify fixed income trading guys it's gonna be great um you know
0: but but oh yes yes because one thing I heard, you know, just talking with somebody at the bar uh, a, a week or two back, mm. um, the OMS space.
1: Yeah.
0: Tons of consolidation. Um, you still have um, some smaller players in the space, like um McQuadie Book, like Infusion. Tour and people. Like that, I think Tour, yeah, 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 stuff like that, um, who have kind of their specialties, their, their pockets. I've, I've always... They, you know, kind of throwing around some ideas, but of somebody trying to use, you know, clouds, SaaS-delivered, natively-built, cloud-based, you know, OMS to try and slowly kind of enter into a market because, you know, kind of like, you know, the universe expanding and contracting. Well, as everything contracts, does that create new opportunities? That might be a far-flung idea because something as tricky as an OMS, something as important as an OMS... Mm. It's tough as a startup to kind of get in there, um, but so. it, it happens. You know, there, you know, it, there was a period in the mid two thousands when that did happen.
1: Though you're already seeing it with, I guess, with uh, TT moving their RMS to the cloud and, and various yeah. things as well. Um, I would say probably more opportunities rather than that space, and on the pure kind of order management and execution side, more in the exchange space. I think yeah. maybe uh, there's probably like that's a relatively untapped area. I think in this whole idea of. I know a lot of things we've been discussing this year in terms of various new technologies and, and the use cases for the cloud, I think, will come full circle for those guys. And I think, okay, well, actually, you know, we can now deploy anywhere. We don't have to have this big matching center or anything else. If You know, if latency is no longer the issue that it once was because everyone's kind of reached that general level playing field, um, mm-hmm. do we necessarily need to have these expensive data centers, for instance, or can we leverage something else to do it? Yeah. So I think the exchange space is probably more interesting to watch from that regard rather than the... Uh, the pre trade of the execution space, yeah.
0: Do you think that you know the exchange, the exchange consolidation space certainly cooled off? And exactly. I think, as it feels like again, this isolationist, nationalist, you know, yeah. kind of view is sweeping the globe. This is not, you know, just look at um, one of the other articles we wrote about India and Singapore, you know, kind of going to loggerheads and just, you know creating a battle there that yeah, I think it's came a out more, of nothing.
1: a lot more difficult now. I and mean, there's a lot of fatigue yeah. around that as well. I think a lot of people have been through this several times. And I know from people I know in the antitrust authorities, for instance, they're just exhausted with it. They just keep saying, things are never going to go through. We're going to spend eight months on this, like, analyzing this deal. So why yeah. are you even bothering? So I think there's a lot of pressure um, from the governmental side and, and maybe from the national sort of apparatus side to say, right, guys, come on just focus on your business. You don't need to merge. You have to come to us for approval anyway. We're not going to get it, so just do what you've got to do. Yeah. Um, within countries, I don't know, I mean, the US is obviously the, the main example of consolidation within, but I can't see any particular...
0: Logical... Logical merge. It's not
1: really. I mean, you know, you've know, you had... I mean, Sebo and BATS was the outlier, right? And that was still weird to this day. Um, I know that they probably acquired BATS mainly for the technology rather than the equity yeah. markets, but, um, you know, CME acquired Nex for the technology again. Mm-hmm. Um... I can't see any other ripe markets for ICE to move into, within the US at least. Um, I think maybe people are going to try and take a piece of the clearing uh, action in Europe and, you know, if Brexit does happen, how that affects LCH, there might be something up for grabs there. Um,
0: Pieces of organizations being sold off, perhaps. Yeah, or room for competitors to grow. So, you
1: know, if ICE, for instance, decides, I mean, LCH already has a a French presence, but that's mainly for credit clearing, not for, for rates. Um. But if I saw someone decides, well, we're going to set up a fully compliant EU twenty seven facility. We've got the backbone. We've got the people. Bring your stuff here. You know, yeah. we can swallow the loss for a couple of years, and we can just grab that share from LCH, which isn't going to move because it's part of the London Stock Exchange. So uh, possibly uh, that you. Yeah.
0: And I think that the other piece on the exchange front is just market data fees. You know, we kind of saw that kind of kick off with the SEC meeting uh, that happened uh, this fall. Yeah, I think that's going to kick off in earnest in 2019 as the SEC conducts its uh, reports, gets feedback nice. from the industry, and then it's going to make some decision in 2019. So I think that that will be a very, very big story that will we'll kind have of play a, out. a lot of implications beyond
1: that as well and other asset classes. I mean, if you mm. think about, I mean, this is equities, right, in terms of, and there's actual competition equities between right. all the various exchanges for fees, uh, which I guess is the problem is that, that competition hasn't resulted in lower fees for investors. It's actually resulted in fairly sort of cabalistic behavior. Um among the exchanges themselves, but if you look at other asset costs, fixed income, derivatives and that kind of thing, the playing field is a lot narrower. Yeah. And yet the fees are just as punitive. So you might see precedent being set in equities and that trickling down into other ones as well. So yeah. if you want any opinions on that, love to hear from you. So
0: Yeah. Um these are gonna be the stories we're looking on. Um if there's anything that you have that yeah. we haven't mentioned, then certainly bring it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, any Um, any other uh, topics you think
1: I mean I think you know we're working next year is going to be a year of change for waters as well Um, you know it's I'm gonna quit we're gonna fire (laughs) Tony Uh, (laughs) he's drinking on the job far too much and uh, we just can't by the way
0: when are we going to stop and get our next round of beer well I think we're gonna have to pause in a second before we get to the fun bit
1: but uh, yeah if the Patriots win the Super Bowl again it's just too much Um, but no in terms of waters you know we're going to be refocusing and, and reorganizing ourselves as well next year um you know we're we're a technology publication. We're going to focus more on that. Um, I think in terms of our coverage moving forward, we're going to be more open to explain talking. what that
0: means. So rather than covering some of the market structure stuff, yeah, that I think in the last few risks, years that Bloomberg, that Reuters do yeah, cover pretty exactly. well, and you get that information from them. From them we're going to yeah. do more deep dive. Ex- ex- examinations as to how the technology is being used be exactly, a hardcore yeah. tech publication
1: that's that's the idea to do more long form to do more in-depth reporting more technical reporting yeah. uh, that's kind of what you guys have been telling us over the last year so it's what we're going to pursue um we've got a few other things are in the pipeline that i can't talk about yet because they haven't been signed off but we think they're going to go ahead which can be really good for you both the subscribers and and for us as a as a newsroom um and, you know, I think just generally um, we're going to look to reconnect with that tech base more. So, you know, we're going to be out a lot more in person. Me and Tony are going to be at Boca, obviously, next Woo-hoo. year. So it's going to be good fun. Um, and we're going to be uh, a lot more visible, I think, than maybe we have been in the past. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. Okay. we we'll have you along for the ride. It'll be good.
0: Yeah. And um, we'll also be looking for more guests for the podcast. Um, more guests
1: for the podcast, yeah. And, like, just generally, if you've got an interesting tech story, like, there isn't... We're releasing a blockchain platform, or you know, we're going to move into cryptocurrency trading. If you're doing something genuinely interesting with technology, regardless of whether you're an end user or a vendor or someone else, like if it is genuinely something that no one has done before, we want to hear about it. So we want to you be know, the
0: guys yeah. that you come to. You want? We know that you all work in technology and you do find it interesting. And maybe when you go home, your husband or your wife, your kids. Don't really care so much to hear about what you do at your job. But we, can, we, can. <laughs> we care, We We're the white horse every night, and nah. we care. <laughs> we're, we're the hardcore tech people that you can come talk to, and we're happy to have conversations on background if need be, and then we can yeah. spam. But, you know, again, we want to be the resource for you all um, when it comes to technology in the capital markets. Yeah,
1: and we we should have a reader survey going out in the new year, I think. So if you guys can take some time to fill that out, it would be hugely helpful for us in determining where we should be focusing our resources and our efforts. Um, You know, like we were saying earlier, we've done a lot over the last few years on regulation and market structure. And while that's important, I don't think it's necessarily what people come to order to read. So, you know, um, one of the benefits of them giving us the keys to the magazines, we get to refocus it.
0: There we go. So, yeah. All right, so we'll pause for a second while we get some beers, and then we're going to come back and we're going to discuss um, oh, the, our favorite long form from outside of. So you, you guys might be looking for some reading to do yep. over the next uh, week and a half between Christmas and New Year's. So, yeah, we, we got some uh, some suggestions for you to check out. We got some good stuff. Right. Yep. Right. Hey, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, we're, you know, we're journals and nerds, especially of magazine journalism. We just, you know... We, before,
1: we, uh, before we get into this, actually, I think it's important that we pour out for our dearly departed colleague, Dan Francesco, who has uh, moved to Business Insider, had his first story on Robin Hood, uh-huh. immediately then had to write about Robin Hood's options trading going down, and then yep. the next day he had to write about the story that he covered the day before, because they apparently didn't get the... Uh, Investor protection for it. So there you there go. go, Dan. It's been a bad start. Yeah, that. exactly.
0: Uh, you know, and you better you better stay off of our turf, though. I mean, yeah, if you start a podcast about yeah.
1: fintech, we're gonna come and cut you. I, I saw something
0: today that there was, uh <laughs> you know, he put up something about, uh, you yeah, know, it was it was too close to home for us, and I was like, stop yeah. talking. You
1: know, you, you, oh, no. he so, did something about bond trading venue, yeah, something, but, yeah, something like, yeah, like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we know you're listening, Dan. We got our eye on you, kid. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's see here figure we'll do top five. Do you have five? Yeah,
1: I've probably got five. Um, I'll kick off with one, and then we'll do one-one. Okay, sounds good.
0: Um, I
1: think my... Probably my favorite story, I think, of the year, and the one that actually made me look around the city I live in, New York City, and actually look at it a bit differently, was um, uh, a story in ProPublica called Trashed. Yes. Um, It was by Kira Feldman, I think. Um, And this was... Exceptional. I mean, it didn't win the Pulitzer. Is that period up yet, or is it? So I'm not sure. Well, it should either way, because it is absolutely it was exceptional. Sensational. The story looks at the world of kind of um, of private uh, garbage disposal within the city and how dangerous it is. And I had no idea actually before I read this. So I thought people just kind of you know got on with it and not a particularly pleasant job, but it's a job that people do. But she really went into the extraordinary hours they work and the physical danger they're in every day, people like losing hands and fingers and feet and getting hit by cars and all sorts and it was a really evocative in-depth expert piece of journalism that, um, like I said really from the very next day onwards made me look at the city differently when I saw garbage trucks going down 7th Avenue at 10 o'clock at night and that sure. kind of thing. Or, you know, Yeah, you'll, you'll always morning.
0: now see a garbage, like, you know, not the New York City garbage trucks, but, like, just those private, private companies. Those and private also the companies. people as well, which I think yeah. I realized
1: I wasn't before. I was just looking at the garbage truck and how annoying it was and disruptive and that kind of thing and realize actually, you know, there are people crewing this and it's a it's a pretty crappy existence, actually. <laughs> it comes down to, <laughs> who'd have thought, garbage collection. But, you know, I strongly recommend you guys read it. It's Pro Republica, so it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, truly one of the best pieces of the year, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, that was certainly on my list. So way to go first and take one. That's cool. um, Blood Will Tell by Pamela uh, Cal- of, uh also for ProPublica. And she's been covering this very, very closely. Um, there was a murder in a small Texas town. Mm-hmm. And uh, husband and wife, so the wife was murdered. Uh, so her name was Mickey Bryan. And she's a fourth grade teacher. Her husband, a uh, high school principal, was charged with killing her, even though he was at a conference out in Arizona, New Mexico, or something like that. But they, using blood spatter analysis, which is not the great, this is, there's a little of a... What do you call it? Pseudoscience? science, faux something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know? a little bit controversy about it. Yeah, a lot of people of that legitimacy. become re- registered as blood spatter analysis experts, but basically it's a ten-hour course that you take, and <laughs> now you're going into and now you're, and you're convincing. With the wow. So Pamela has been writing about this a lot, and it's it's a harp. It's a two-part story, and the rage. I had to keep on putting it down because the rage I was feeling about this. Yeah. And how obvious this man was wronged, and right now it looks like this. This he's been in jail for decades. It looks like this will be overturned, but the district attorney and in, in this text town, they're still pushing hard on it because this is where our just system fails because the ego of rather than saying we 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 did screw up. They are they just keep on doubling down. No, okay. we are sure that this man did it. When you read this. There's no way of walking away from this and being like this man uh, killed him. And so many people, so many people that were against, that were witnesses against him. <laughs> what was that? Um, are now recanting? They're backing up. You know that it's it's a heartbreaking story. And you know this man spent his whole life in jail, uh, or his whole later life in jail. And it's 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 truly a great read. Two parts. Definitely check it out. Blood will tell. ProPublica. Um, yeah, that would be my uh, top one for the year. So my
1: next one is one that I can't remember the name of or the author or where it was published. Um, <laughs> you might be able to help me on this, though, because you turned me on to it. It was a story about um, a hitman. Um, and his eventual, he turned himself in eventually, and it turns out he'd murdered hundreds of people or something for the
0: cartels over the years.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and it was just I, I annoyed at myself that I, I literally just thought of it and I was like, that has to be on the list, but I can't yeah. remember the name of
0: it. I'm surprised I don't have it on my list, actually, because that was a great story. It was a, a great
1: story. And um, it was about this, this hit man who. Uh, I'm I mean, pretty sure it was a GQ story. I think it was a GQ story, yeah. Um, who, uh, just by all accounts, on the surface, a normal family man, yeah. right? You know, he had a loving daughter yep. and family and. He was a pillar of his community and everything yep. like that, but actually secretly was a hit hitman for the yeah. cartels and showed absolutely no remorse for his killings. And yeah. apparently, like, did a few kind of extra killings Fun of his killings, own, You know, yeah, exactly, when yeah. someone insulted his daughter and stuff yeah, like exactly. that. The guy was a like a complete psychopath, and mm-hmm. uh, I think there was one point it was quite harrowing where he was just like the reporter was like, "Why are you telling me all this stuff?" He's like, "Because I'll kill you if you get it wrong." Yeah. I <laughs> <quite> the, uh, <laughs> I was like, "Okay." Yeah, okay. But yeah, I think it was GQ's GQ story. Um, we'll find out when we post the podcast exactly what it was and yeah. put a link to it. Good job, James. Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> it's only my second beer today. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that was one of my favorites this year.
0: Another one that me and you both really enjoyed uh, through Wired, um, Inside Palmer Lucky's Bid to Build a Border wall. This was so good. Stephen yeah. Levy from Wired. Um,
1: Again, something that I'd never even thought of as possible to mention. But when I read the story, I was like, oh, yeah, that totally could be. Yeah, well, it's, could be, yeah so. it's about
0: this, you know, this visionary tech visionary who is was a Trump supporter Mm -hmm. is maybe so I'm not sure if he, you know if if he's become disillusioned like many other uh, Trump uh, Trumpers Um, but uh, how he has an idea to rather than having to build an actual wall using AI be able to scan um, and you know be able to make out using feature learning techniques um what is a rabbit what is a human and then drones would basically come and you know spot these people out then the authorities would be directed to exactly where these people are you know using a helicopter so you don't have to spend all this money on a border wall um you would just use this technology to create it and i thought it was a really interesting way it was an interesting deep dive into this company uh god what is the company called here um did a really good uh, Oculus, uh, virtual reality company. And he's only 25 years old, too. Uh, Jesus, that's just annoying. Well, that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but definitely, if you like technology, yes, there's a political angle to it. So it's got that interest to it. Um, and I think that that's well worth reading because, you know, that's a story when James and I talk about where we want to direct our coverage in 2019 it's a story like that where you really get into the nitty gritty of a company and get just deep in their yep. and it was really, really well done.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, your turn. Well, I'm just trying to look at what it is.
0: Um, that was <laughs> no, funny. Before we started this, I said to James, I was like, all right, cause I have my list already you know, built. I sent it out to all the reporters here and, uh, I said, you know, James, are you going to need some time to kind of look at I I like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I got it. it. No big deal. Uh,
1: the Palantir story that was in Bloomberg yes. was really good. Um, just all the little, not so much the actual story itself, because, I mean, everyone knows the kind of evil 1984 style overlords, right? I think it was the little pieces of detail, information that really went into it. Um, just even down to the bits, like, they have a blockchain identity system and that kind of thing, which I didn't know, which is mm-hmm. cool. And, like, you know, somebody covers it and that kind of stuff. Um just a really interesting look inside, a really shadowy firm that I think was very skillfully reported, very well covered. Yeah. Um, obviously- and you learn
0: a lot about privacy. as yeah. an, as an individual, yeah, you know, we, we talk a lot about privacy issues. That one was a really thought-provoking piece about privacy and what does it mean, and what are you as an individual willing to give up?
1: Uh, how are you responsible? As yeah. well? this is the thing, and that was a really key point of the story that I liked was that you know you can vilify Palantir and people like them and Cambridge Analytica and all these other companies all you like. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's you who is doing this because you're giving up your information to them. They're just collecting it at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, they're not actively coming into your house and snooping through your, uh, your diary or anything like that, you're putting it online for them to read and giving them full access. And like, is that really what you want to be doing? That's the question. I thought that was a really good piece.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, I'll give you I'll try and think of your next one here. No, go ahead um.
1: I still <laughs> want to do two in a row where I can remember the name of the story or the author. That would have been terrible.
0: <laughs> um, one of my favorite uh, long form, it's also a book that you can go out and buy. Um, Excuse me. The White Darkness. By David Grunt in um, the New Yorker follows Henry Worsley, um, who wanted to do what Ernest Shackleton couldn't do, and polar exploration to me are the best stories. Like this triumph of man over an environment, you know yeah. they're they're incredible. I, I love reading about Shackleton, um, uh, 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 the Arctic expedition, or yeah, no, the uh, words, uh, I hate myself right now. So, now, you know, we talked like, about you know, this before the podcast. Yeah. So he
1: We'd say, Do you need some time, Tony? And he
0: was just like, No, I've got it,
1: man. Who's cool. The, Who's the, the
0: Norwegian guy, and he raced with the English guy to be the first to find uh, the South Pole. Yeah, uh, I don't his Arno. Name, so. Ar, no, now I'm thinking Arno. <laughs> <laughs> All right, whatever. Anyway, Henry Worsley wants to, uh, without using dogs or anything wants to trek across the 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 span of Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And why you would want
1: to do that is beyond me. But you know it's,
0: I mean especially when you have a family at home. Like yeah. and the, all these guys have families at home. They're all absolutely nut jobs. So it is a great story. It, and yeah, I'm not gonna give anything away about it. It's just you know, it just builds and builds and builds if you know nothing about it, as I didn't know I didn't know anything about uh, Henry Worsley. You just read that. Was one that I could not put down, like that was one I just read straight through, and it is long, uh, yeah. it's a long excerpt. Um, but yeah, definitely worth checking out The White Darkness, David Grand, in a New Yorker.
1: So, I think my, my penultimate one is uh, uh, it's called America Beyond Detention by a guy called Gus Bova, who I think at the time was an intern for the Texas Observer, um, and he's now a staff writer there, I think, but um as you bloody well should be after this, because it's a (laughs) three-part investigative piece on exactly what's happening inside ICE detention centres on the Texas border. Okay. Uh, And this is by a Texas newspaper who's doing it as well. Um, They're they're a left-wing paper, but um, uh, very, very well reported. Following the story of several migrants as they go through the system, um, you know, really focusing on the struggles they go through, not not necessarily in the hands of ICE, although it is part of it, but mostly in the hands of people like unscrupulous lawyers who say they can get them out of there. Take the money and flee. Uh, you know, uh, um, people who uh, try to help but are overwhelmed because I mean, you know, there is no real public support for these people. It's mainly on the back of charities and the church. A lot of the time, we do it. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting to have a local perspective on this issue that is so macro at yeah. national international level.
0: Um, That's one thing that they that those publications can can do so well that where, like, you always read about Middle America, like, when I read a story about Middle America in the New York Times, it makes me want to f***ing puke sometimes, but when you actually read it in, you know, the Kansas City Star Ledger or whatever, something like that, you know, it carries more weight because these people, not just, they didn't just fly in, they lived there, they grew up there, they know the town, the editors know everything about it, you know.
1: It's got a sense of verisimilitude to it, which is, you know. As you say, it's not just the New York Times parachuting in, it's immigration correspondent from Manhattan to spend three days in Texas and write about it it. authoritatively. Uh, The piece does peter out towards the end of the third part, and it's not quite got the ending. It should need to be really impactful. Otherwise, I would say it would be a Pulitzer contender. Um, But it is really worth reading. Um, And I think it's free. I know the Texas Observer has been doing a funding drive recently, but I think that piece is still free.
0: Okay. Um, Hold on here, my phone shut down. Oh, uh, more of a fun piece. Yep. Go with the profile here. Um, uh, Taffy, I, I always butcher her last name, but Brodesser Um mm-hmm. for New York Times. She she was one of the main. Her and Katie Weaver were uh, brilliant uh, profile writers at GQ. Uh, New York Times poached both of them up, um, so they're now over there. Uh, one of it's just a batshit crazy story about Gwyneth Paltrow's company Goop. Right. And how the company has made her $250 million Wildly using, or... again, was it pseudoscience, fake science, whatever it is? just It is just, it's it's insane what people are forking over to her and what she's allowed to peddle as being. You know, what is she
1: selling? Like cures and stuff and like water, but that's. Yeah, crappy, yeah. So, yeah, you know, mean. life
0: improvement kind of stuff, kind of this, oh, you'll be a. More well person here. Here's this, and it's all. It's geared toward high end luxury, right? The costs, like this isn't like a mass. You know, this this is all. Everything is extremely expensive. It's for rich people. Yeah. And you read this, and it's a cult. It's a damn cult, and it's it's a. Taffy has a great voice. Like when you talk about a writer's voice, mm-hmm. um, when she does profiles, like I hate. You know me, I hate when people, in, when the writer interjects yeah. him or herself into a profile. Is, is there I'm sitting here with, it? yeah, that's your job. That's what you're supposed to be, sitting there. And the every, it's impossible to write a celebrity profile anymore without the very first sentence being, I am with. Shut the f*** Who gives a crap that you are with this person? That's what you're supposed to do. I am the reader. Stop taking me out of it. I can you know? see a byline.
1: I know that you spoke into. Yeah. to him.
0: Yeah, because well now, and the reason why, now I'm just going off on a tangent here that's it's pernicious in that as a reader, I now can't relate. You are with this person rather than me feeling like I am sitting down having a conversation with this person as important. the reader, I am now saying, oh, this person is having this conversation. I can never have this conversation it takes you completely out of the story. With that said, Taffy by and large and Katie Weaver too do, does a great job of bringing snark. To a profile. Yeah, without, and, without
1: leading it too heavily on you know, it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um and so her voice really comes through. It's it was it's a fun story. It's one that when you're at a dinner party, you'll be like, You gotta read the story about Gwyneth Paltrow you know?
1: How many dinner parties you go to Tony?
0: Uh by dinner parties we mean the white horse and when we well, get French I fries. Mean Taco Bell after the uh <laughs> after the beers, right? Probably sitting around dribbling at one o'clock yeah. in the morning. <laughs>
1: you got to read this. The long form went well, 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 is great. Taffy is great. Uh, yeah. uh, my final one I'm going to call out, I think, is actually from ESPN, uh, which is going to be awesome. It's called Jose Mourinho's uh, uh, Last Stand, another one that you gave me. Um, and it is just so well written. Um, a bit of schadenfreude I am a Chelsea fan, so it's nice to see Jose Mourinho. Um, but, and how Joseph, much of it
0: came true because he has ultimately stepped ultimately, down. Well, man. yeah,
1: he's, you know, his train has finally pulled out of the station <laughs> after idling for a while. Um, But it's just an amazing piece that really gets the the core of Jose Mourinho. Um, For those who aren't familiar, Manchester United manager, was a Chelsea manager for a long time, very controversial figure within UK football. Um, He refused to move into, or buy a house or move into one in Manchester. He lives in a hotel in the city centre and had done for the last two years. And the piece is really about how he cut such an iconoclastic figure, uh, such an isolationist figure and how he is so abrupt and so rude and so uh, thick-skinned and everything else, but some players will literally walk into hell for him. And yeah. uh, it's just about that weird dichotomy in his personality and how he can inspire such fanatical loyalty in some people and such utter hatred in others. And it's really, really worth, um, really worth reading. My data's gone off, so I can't tell you who wrote it. But ESPN, Jose Mourinho's last Uh time. Sam Borden,
0: I'm pretty sure Something that was, was yep. uh, the, the writer for that one. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yep. Was, yeah. Um. I will just quickly. I'll say uh, you should check out "A Kingdom of Dust" by Mark Erickson, in California Sunday Magazine. I'm not going to get into that, but it's just about uh, the farm, the ag community in California. Tremendous deep dive there. Uh, A fun story: how an ex-cop rigged McDonald's monopoly game and stole millions by uh, (laughs) Jeff Mache, the Daily Beast. Uh, That was just a fun, crazy crime story. Um, I'll go though. Weird here, uh, with a weird story. Um, Again, going with The New Yorker here. um, Japan's rent-a-family industry. So by... uh, I'm probably going to get this name wrong, but Elif uh, Boutyman? Yeah, for The New Yorker. Japan's rent-a-family industry. So people... In Japan, this is one of those weird Japan stories. And I think it did piss off a little bit of uh, some Japanese people because, like, why do you always, like, this small subculture that we have in this country, why is this some, why do you always focus on weird Japan? Yeah. With that said, there is a subculture here for this and there is an actual <laughs> industry <laughs> it for it. And it's weird. So let's say your wife died, but you want to have... Your your child died, or you're estranged from your family. You know, they're divorced, or your kids won't see you. You can rent a family that will come come into your home. So when you walk home from work, your wife, uh, your your fake wife and your fake daughter are sitting there, and they cook you dinner and they have conversations with you like your husband and wife, and everybody just kind of pretends that this is. You know, they, they just act it out. And so you have this fake family that you rent. And these actors, their job is to know everything about you.
1: That is so bizarre. It is That's, so
0: bizarre. You know, listen, to me. It's
1: really sad as well. Like, oh, long, how lonely people must be to do that. I mean, Jesus.
0: It's one of those that you read where you're fascinated by it. And you're also just like, oh, man, this is cripplingly sad. But also, some of these people are just, they were terrible to their actual families. And now they have to rent a family, you know. So I, I thought that that one is it's definitely worth a read. Uh, Japan's rent family industry in uh, a New Yorker.
1: I'm going to do one more shout-out for the New Yorker as well. Shout-out. This is such a good story. Uh, it's called The Maraschino Mogul's Secret Life mm-hmm. uh, by Ian Frazier. And it's about this, um, this bloke Arthur Mandela who was incredibly well-loved by all accounts and was a really, really good guy. Like, his workers got injured or something. He would pay them... Um, but he had this real secret life as this massive weed producer in New York and, and no one really knew about it. And the way it eventually got found out was um the beekeepers in the area found that their bees started producing red honey, um, which led back to the Dells factory, which he ran, the cherry factory and everything else, yeah. and they were sort of feasting on that. And they had this massive marijuana grow underneath it, apparently, that nobody knew about. I think he killed himself. Um yeah. and that then sort of daughters kind of pieces together afterwards. It was it's a fascinating story. And um, I read
0: that story, I was like because I used to work at a Friendly's. If you live in the Northeast, you know what it is. But it's kind of like a Denny's and Applebee's kind of ice cream and, you know, just diner kind of a shop. Mm-hmm. And we used to go up on the roof, get high, and then we would come down and we had these gigantic buckets of maraschino cherries that we'd put on the ice cream sundaes and stuff. And we'd just start just eating the maraschino <laughs> cherries like crazy stuff. <laughs> It made complete sense yeah. when I read that. So I was like, yeah, Marishio and cherries getting high. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The bees are getting high. They're eating the cherries. The
1: honey's red. Like, case closed, man. Why am I not an NYPD detective? <laughs> um, but no, like a really, really fascinating story. Um, again, one that drifts, I think, throughout it and isn't quite as well written as it, or structured, at least. As maybe yeah. it. I think that's suffered from a lot of editing during the process and not for the best. But um, if you can stick with it, it's a quite sad story, actually, a harrowing story about this yeah. bloke who was real pillar community secret drug lord but <laughs> actually, yeah uh, i mean I yeah. listen
0: yeah you know? sometimes you got to get by no <laughs> <laughs> to pay the
1: bills, cherries end up <laughs> all that's right
0: it. so that's our uh, that's our list uh, that you should check out hopefully you read our stories first and then you go to these other wired new york times yeah. new yorker whatever because
1: we all knew that if the media landscape wasn't biased we'd be winning the fucking exactly. Pulitzer. yeah uh, exactly yeah. yeah come on guys
0: it's um, swearing, it's time to stop. So yeah. <laughs> um, enjoy uh, Christmas, um, Yeah, whatever other holidays you might uh, celebrate. I'm not sure what else is going on right now, to be honest with you. It's but just Christmas. There, yeah. there you go. Um, new Year's coming up. So yeah, we'll be back with episode 150 in the new year. Um, and we have some good guests lined up. And also we do want to hear from you all as well. So if you have ideas... Or if we get anything wrong, or you know, you well, just no, don't tell us about that. But if you've got any ideas for stuff, you yeah. can cover and you can lay out on a plate for us,
1: and uh, you know, maybe we can feature on our own best long form. There, for you next go. Year, be fun <laughs> all right.
0: Well, thank you all for listening this year, and we will be back next year. Uh, Merry Christmas, guys.